When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Myron Metcalf from an undisclosed location. Myron, what is on your mind in football in this week? What's going on, man? Not much, man. We're getting closer to the real stuff, man. And I think that, to me, is what I'm most excited about. It's like we are weeks away from real football that counts, that matters, the march to the playoffs. I mean, that, to me, is why this is such an exciting time. Like, clearly summer's ending here in Minnesota. It's getting cooler. You can feel it. But that also means that real football is coming. So I'm pumped about that. I'm still walking the dog in shorts, though, in the morning. I'm cold now. Yeah. It's like 58 degrees or something. It's but I, there. I, I will not give up. I'm, I'm going to hang on to summer as much <laughs> as I possibly can because when I have to put the coat on the dog and I put yeah. three layers on myself in wintertime to just take her for a walk, that's not good. So I, I'm, I'm not letting it go. But, yeah, you know, I, I've – Found myself getting anxious last night when I was really interested in watching Andy Isabella in like the third quarter of the Arizona and Oakland yeah. game. Hey, which, yeah. which by the way, just like to point out, they found Antonio Brown a helmet there. Yeah. So this, uh, this might be my best prediction ever, Myron. <laughs> last week I said, you know, they'll find him a helmet. The guy's not going to quit because he doesn't have a helmet, right? They yeah. found him yeah. one. He was there. How about that? Well, I mean, did we have to go through all this? You know, like, isn't it? Couldn't he have just said, hey, everybody, I'm looking for a helmet uh, that's this style, this brand. Could somebody help me out? Like, what the whole, like, I won't play football again, that whole situation, that's very on brand for Antonio Brown, but also ridiculous. But he never actually said that to anyone. It was a report that he was thinking about that, which I don't know. There's reports right now that I'm thinking about walking out of this studio and eating a pizza, but yeah. like I didn't do it or say it. So like yeah. that, he had his grievance. He lost his grievance. He found a new helmet. It's like, I don't know. Was this to ramp up interest in hard knocks? I mean, what was this about? Was this someone who had an Antonio Brown beef that was leaking that this was going on? Because it just, the whole thing felt very bizarre to me. No one's going to pass up $25 million just because they can't find the exact right helmet. Yeah, here's what I think, though. Let's say someone told someone that this is how he was thinking. Those are the reports from some reputable sources. Clearly, you can go to yourself, okay, but there's, you know, $30 million guaranteed on the line, right, in the next two years. Okay. But then you also say to yourself, this is a guy who came to training camp in a hot air balloon. Um, <laughs> last year, he came to training camp in a helicopter. Yeah. Uh, the entire team stayed on campus during training camp. He stayed at an Airbnb, which his teammates, per reports, doubted he was ever actually at. Who knows where he was going after training camp. Uh, he went after his quarterback. Uh, his coach couldn't handle him. His former mentee, Juju Smith-Schuster, he blasted him. So I'm sorry, when it comes to like a report that says, hey, a guy who can't find a helmet might quit football, yeah, that sounds like a very Antonio Brownish thing uh, and predicament to put himself in. So I, I think this is a guy that there's not a story I wouldn't believe about the biggest diva in the NFL uh, since Terrell Owens. I think that that's, that's fair when you have the body of work. I just think that this particular instance, 
I was just not really buying, right? I mean, yeah. even... I didn't think he quit, but I thought that's something that he could say. Even, like, I could see him putting that out there. Yeah, yeah, because he said something similar to that in the interview with Jeff Darlington about how yep. he didn't necessarily need football, but he's not the first guy I've ever even heard say that. I just... Yeah. Th- this was a thing that I figured I don't was, need $30 million. I don't need $30 million. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Same, right. I mean, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but it, it just struck me as one of those classic training camp goofball reports that come out that we forget about literally five minutes later and so he yeah. was back it seems like his feet still work and he was running around in the the practice field or the um the field there before the game against arizona and i'm guessing that he's going to play football so we'll just see where it goes from there i guess my uh i have antonio brown fatigue uh, after this, and I mean, worked worked into that report, Myron was that he was looking at his phone during meetings, like, oh, I'm sure this is the first player of all time yeah. who's ever yeah. checked the bank account during a meeting. I've checked my bank account three times since we talked. It's Friday, Myron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when when when's that uh, direct deposit about to hit? Right. Bingo. So. Uh, anyway, I, I'm glad that our national nightmare of Antonio Brown's helmet drama is over. But I did want to run by you a couple of other stories that have happened since we last talked last Friday. And, of course, we have a preseason game coming up um, this weekend. So how about another kicker in the mix, Myron? Is it not the most classic Minnesota Vikings thing to do to bring in Corey Vedvik? I love it, man. I mean, I, I wasn't surprised. No, it felt very on-brand. It felt like this is where we were always headed. And then I was reading, like, your tweets and and Courtney Cronin's tweets, and it seemed like I couldn't imagine being Dan Bailey at the end of some of these practices where, like, this is what everyone's watching, right? Can Mm -hmm. you make these kicks in this sort of regulated environment? And for him to be missing kicks, like, I just can't imagine the vibe in training camp. Like, you know, guys are just, come on, man, hit the kick. Like, I'm sorry. I think kickers, obviously, it's not an easy thing to do, right? Especially in that environment, especially under that pressure. Uh, you could argue that other than quarterbacks, no one faces more individual pressure than kickers in the National Football League. However, I still expect you to be able to do it at a proficient level. Right. Like, I don't have a lot of time, like a lot of sort of mental fortitude to consider whether or not, okay, yeah, this is why he's not making kicks. That's why. I don't care. Colin, I just want you to make it. Like, get somebody in here who can make the doggone kicks or go home and find someone else. Like, that to me is the perspective a lot of people have about kickers. And if that comes in and and beats Bailey, pushes Bailey, whoever gets the job, fine. But at the end of the day, this team isn't good enough to not have someone who can give them an extra three points because they might be in a bunch of tight games. So I think this is a critical situation uh, for the Vikings to make sure they're comfortable uh, with the kicker going into the season. The fact that Mike Zimmer was really defensive of Dan Bailey and not as defensive of the punter makes me think that Corey Vedvik will probably end up being the punter and the holder, but yeah. also Corey Vedvik was not holding for Dan Bailey when Bailey was doing his kicks, which uh, maybe not a coincidence. He went six for six the day after they got Vedvik in here. Yeah. Um, but then Vedvik got his chance to kick field goals yesterday, and I think he made five out of six. So it's like, okay, um, you know, wh- how are we going to play this out? And I think that immediately becomes top three, if not number one storyline to watch for this preseason game, which does tell us a little bit about the excitement level so far in camp in terms of storylines. But it really will be fascinating when the Vikings play against Seattle to see how and when they use Corey Vedvik, Dan Bailey, and Matt Weil. Yeah, well, and you you said, you know, it's a top three storyline. It definitely feels like the biggest thing. Yeah. Because you know. Even if you tell me that this team is going to improve from last year, looking at last year is a blueprint, I think, still for the kinds of games they're going to end up in. Mm -hmm. Those games where one, two, three, four plays make the entire difference. You're right there, but you're not good enough to close the show, right? Those, to me, are going to be those moments, and that's when the kicking game comes into play. I mean, you think about the Bears' season, Collar, and everything they did last year and how good they were, and you think about one kick, and how that changes them going to play the Rams, potentially having a shot at getting to the Super Bowl. Like, this is a team that maybe one kick changes whether or not they make it all the way to the Super Bowl. That's how vital this is. And I think for a Vikings team, this could be the difference between you're a playoff team or you're not a playoff team. If you're, you know, 8-8 eight and eight versus 9-7, and seven, 
these are the kinds of games you can get involved in where you need a proficient kicker and just one you can trust. Like that to me is the biggest thing because it seemed like early in training camp and you were there, Kyler, there wasn't a lot of trust in Bailey when he was having some of those rough days. No, definitely not. And it, when he was missing two or three kicks per day, you definitely had the feeling of, all right, people around this building are getting anxious right now. You know, so yeah. Rick Spielman's office looks right out on the practice field. <laughs> and so yeah. if he's looking out there and watching shank after shank, I mean, even if you're blaming the long snapper competition, which never should have happened, or if you're blaming who's holding and that sort of thing, it's still, like you said, Myron, you got to make the kick. You can't have the excuses of, well, this guy didn't hold it right. This guy didn't snap it right. You got to put it in. And Bailey, if he was a 90% kicker the last two years, then I think we would have said, hey, look, don't worry about this. This is training camp practices. This guy's a 90% kicker in the real games. But the last two years, he's a 75% kicker, which in 1991 would have been amazing. But in 2019, (laughs) it's not that great, right? So uh, the unfortunate part for me, Myron, is that I had had a great conversation with Dan Bailey about like old school kickers and why kicking has kind of changed and developed. And we were like, oh, yeah, let's do this as a story sometime, man. And then... They bring in another kicker, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna kind of, <laughs> just kind of let this situation breathe before I circle back to do that story with yeah. Dan Bailey. But you know, it's it's a little bit of body of work recently. Seventy five percent two years in a row. That means you can't really trust him. And you know, if Vedvik performs better, um, then he might end up with the job. But the problem with this Myron is you're talking about a rookie kicker who's never done it before in yeah. real games. You're talking about. A sample size that is tiny, even even in practice. I mean, this would be like saying, all right, um, Jonathan Scope for the Twins, I'm judging you entirely on this next homestand. That's yeah. it. That's how I'm going to evaluate you. And it's like, okay, well, if he goes you know, 10 for 16 or something, what is he, the best player of all time? I mean, if Vedvik outkicks Bailey, does that mean he'll be better in the regular season? I think it's the Vikings have been chasing their tail on this for quite some time, and they yeah. uh, just have just never kind of really figured out that they should probably just pick someone and stick with them. Well, and I think that's the, the key, though, when you talk about his youth and inexperience. You know, youth and inexperience only matters when you're struggling, right? I don't right. care how young he is. If he's hitting... If he's making the kicks, it'll be something that becomes an asset for him. Wow, look at this young guy in in these pressure situations doing what he's doing. So that's the flip side of that. But again, to me, if I'm Mike Zimmer, I'm just like, somebody make the kicks. I don't care who it is. Just because there are so many other things, if you're Mike Zimmer, that you have to be concerned about. What's the the culture of this defense going to be? Is Kirk Cousins going to be a guy who – Develops a better relationship with his receivers, making some of the throws that maybe he didn't make a year ago. You know, running back situation. Like, there's so many questions I think that you have if you're Zimmer as you approach the season. This isn't one I want to have, Kyle. This is not one I want to no. have. Somebody show me you're the best kicker on this team. You get the job. Let's move forward. And I think that, to me, is why this is becoming a bigger storyline. To not have that settled uh, two-plus weeks before the season starts that, to me, would be a big concern if I'm Mike Zimmer. And you know everybody in the locker room is looking over there at those field goals and going, please do not let this happen again with this yes. team. <laughs> yes. um, Myron, a couple other things here. So uh, something that came up yesterday was Delvin Cook and whether he will play in the preseason. I would suspect that he does get into the, a preseason game at some point. Maybe it's the third preseason game, or maybe it is um, this weekend against the Seahawks. But... I mean, do we need Delvin Cook to play in the preseason or not? Because I've always been in the camp of don't play any starters. I know they will, but if it was me, I wouldn't play him at all. I wouldn't play Kirk Cousins. I wouldn't play Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Everson Griffin, Harrison Smith. All of you can take the entire preseason off, and if it takes you a week to ramp up, I'll make that sacrifice to not lose any of you. But NFL teams don't ever want to do that. So, Delvin Cook, do you think we should see him in the preseason? Uh, no, I don't think it's necessary to see him. And I think considering his injury history, uh, it's not advisable, I think, to put him in a game. Uh, that's the kind of guy where, like, you want him only playing meaningful football at this point. My theory on the preseason is this. There are a bunch of guys trying to make the team. Yeah, you got to play. If you're trying to find a spot on the team, you've got to play. I think offensive linemen, it's really important for them to play in that situation as well uh, because I think it's just hard to simulate real game situation uh, blocking schemes, all those things, 
in a preseason unless you have guys who are getting that on-field experience. But if you've done this before and we know your skill and we know your talent, why risk anything, especially with a guy who has his injury history? So, no, I don't think you need to see Dalvin Cook until it's time to see him in a meaningful game. Um, that's when you use him. And to me, I would give him as much, as many opportunities as you can give Dalvin Cook to not play football, to, to give him as much rest as possible from live action situations. You do it because we've already seen guys get hurt in the preseason. Now, that could happen in week two as well, right? But if you're a coach, if you're a GM, if you're a teammate, you do not want to see somebody go down in one of these games. I mean, that's why the Packers were so furious with the Texans in, in their joint practice where it's like, dude, guys are hitting guys and people are getting hurt. This is dumb. I mean, that's what Aaron Rodgers was saying. This is stupid. Yep. Why are we putting guys at risk in a joint practice in the preseason? So no way. Dalvin Cook, you want to see him ready to go week one, uh, and hopefully you get a full season out of him because I would hate to see Dalvin putting some mileage on his legs now, tweaking something, and now we get to week six or seven, collar, and it's, uh, might have to shut him down for three weeks. Yeah, then you yeah. start second-guessing whether or not you should have played him earlier. Yep, I don't, I don't need that at all. And if, you're, if you lose him in week two for some reason, I don't think it will be because he didn't get eight snaps in the preseason game. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, exactly. will be because he actually is injury-prone, which I'm not convinced of. I mean, just based on what the injuries were that um, held him out. An ACL can happen to anybody, and then hamstring usually kind of goes along with that as you come back from an ACL injury. So now that he's 100% at health, um, I wouldn't want to do anything in the entire world to risk that. Plus, he's looked just great, super explosive, in great shape in training camp. I mean, he's he's going to be there every down back. He's going to be where everything starts with this offense. So why would you want to risk that at all? Plus, you just get more looks at Alexander Madison. I mean, I, I think, Myron, yeah. there's a, a decent possibility that Madison has a legit role in this offense. That doesn't mean that he's you know coming in for five drives a game necessarily, but as a guy who can give Delvin Cook a rest from time to time and do a lot of the same things, maybe at just not quite the same level as Delvin, but be effective, um, you know, I, I think that what he's shown in camp is that he can potentially be that. And that's good. I mean, especially at that position, clearly you want to have someone like Madison there. I mean, you want a guy that you can insert uh, and, and be comfortable with because especially with a running back, you don't know. Yep. And a running back with that injury history, you have to have a plan B. I mean, you've got to have, you've got to know that this thing could change with a Dalvin Cook. And, and you're also in a situation, right, where do you pay Dalvin Cook? Like, that's still on the table, right? Yep. What's, the, what's the shelf life of a Dalvin Cook? And the Chargers are dealing with this now with Melvin Gordon and his holdout. The Cowboys are dealing with this. I mean, they'll pay Zeke. But all of a sudden in the last couple of years, from Todd Gurley to Le'Veon Bell, we've questioned the value of a running back. And I just think, Kyler, the era of the big contract star running back, that's over. Yeah. Um, yep. Now you've got to balance that of, okay, what does Dalvin Cook want? What's reasonable considering his production this year, injury history? So a guy like Madison right now is the backup. But if he's similar in terms of value and production, if you're the Vikings, you're like, this is great because if we lose Cook, we're still okay. Okay, one more storyline from this week for you to react to, Myron, is Laquan Treadwell on the block, which I think you could have used some common sense to figure out. Um, yeah. But Courtney Cronin and I debated yesterday – about whether the Vikings deserve to be hammered for this one or not. And my take is when you go through everything that was being said about him, when NFL.com's draft profile, which they're really good, I use them at draft time all the time by Lance Zierlein, very accurate with his analysis usually on strengths and weaknesses, when he compares him to DeAndre Hopkins, it's, it's not like they drafted some guy who was supposed to be a fourth rounder in the first round. It was a consensus, this guy should be a good wide receiver, and it just hasn't worked out. That makes it very hard for me to second guess. When you draft Willie Beavers in the fourth and no one's ever heard of him, then okay, yeah. fine, say, yeah. yeah, you messed that one up because you, you went way off the board with it. But um, in this case, I think the process was probably just fine and the results weren't. Yeah, so... Like you, Collar, I'm a I'm a like football junkie, so I watched a lot of college football. I watched a lot of Laquan Treadwell at Ole Miss. Um, and the guy before he suffered that really nasty injury mm -hmm. was just a force. Yep. Just a physical specimen 
who could get to his spots whenever he wanted, however he wanted to, and just made plays. Uh, and I think if you saw that guy and you thought, okay, clearly post-injury he might not be the same guy yet, but over time he gets his strength back, uh, mentally recovers, because that's a, that's a curve too when you suffer a major injury. In terms of the ability, there were no questions about Laquan Treadwell. In terms of like who he could have been, what his ceiling was, there were zero questions about Laquan Treadwell. And if you're in that green, in that draft room, you had no questions either. So I can't fault the Vikings for picking a guy who, Collar, if he hits his ceiling, although you don't know because you know about the injury, you know that he's still sort of on the comeback trail, um, and that's an injury that sometimes guys never get back to where they were. But if you're the Vikings and you see that, you go, if he can get back to being that guy yep. and hit his ceiling, that's a star receiver. Ability-wise, that's a star receiver on film. It just hasn't panned out. So I can't fault the Vikings for seeing that guy. If you saw him at Ole Miss, if you saw the playmaker he was, seeing that and going, I want that. And if it takes him a couple years to get back to himself, it's worth the risk. So I don't fault the Vikings for picking a guy that on paper, on film, a lot of people wanted that dude. And, and here's another thing to add, is that from just being around the last three years and watching Laquan Treadwell and the way he works, I mean, I, I talked to somebody the other day that said, look, it hasn't worked out, but it's not because he hasn't like worked. He is one of the hardest working guys to keep himself in shape and uh, you know yep. everything else. It's just that I think Mike Zimmer's criticism was correct when he said, a lot of times he's not working on the right things that could make him successful. And there's a lot of details to this game to be a great wide receiver that you just don't need in college that you need in the NFL. And one of those things is getting in and out of your breaks. And, yeah. you know, even he's shown some ability to do that from time to time, but you have to be very specific on each route about it. It's a complicated game out there, and there's no way – to, to figure that out just by watching college football because Mike Zimmer said to me the other day, I mean, he was talking about defensive backs, but it's true for wide receivers as well, that I mean, some a corner can be 10 feet behind you sometimes in, yeah. in college football. You will never yeah. get that in the NFL. And even the other night when Treadwell, you know, he makes a, a, a mistake on a block that he's done before and it's just not correcting it. Like all players say that the goal that they have is to not make the same mistake twice. And Treadwell continually makes the same mistakes all the time. And yeah. here we are just kind of at the end of the road with it. So I'm going to look at it very much as, hey, well, they got lucky that uh, Diggs and Thielen became the superstars that they did, and they got unlucky that this guy didn't, and that's how sports work sometimes. Yeah, and I think my theory on guys like Treadwell, it's my same theory on basketball players who dominate in high school and college just based on their physicality. Those guys sometimes have never really had to think the game. Um, so you're Stephon Diggs and you're Adam Thielen. They're not getting to the pros unless they're cerebral, unless right. they're smart, right? Yep. Yep. Whereas a Treadwell, if you saw him in college and how big and strong he was, this guy was going to get to that spot whether or not you whether or not you wanted him to. Like whatever right. you want to find, he was so physical. And I think sometimes guys like that who have had such a physical advantage at their position have never really had to think about the nuance of the game, yep. the minutia of the game, right? And now you come to the NFL where it's all the minutia. It's all a cerebral approach to this thing. And that's when you get to a guy where you go, man, the ability might be there, but it's the other stuff. And the other stuff is the stuff that he doesn't have. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. I want to ask you about a very hot prediction from your colleague Courtney Cronin uh, on the show earlier this week. And also, let's just talk about some star players. I mean, we, we end up getting so deep into the minutia of whether Chris Boyd can step up as the defensive depth uh, in, in the secondary yeah. and, and things like that during training camp and backup kicker slash punter slash holders that uh, sometimes we forget to, to circle back and talk about the players who will actually decide whether uh, the Vikings make the playoffs. So we'll return Myron Metcalf, Matthew Collar on a Friday here on Purple Daily. All right, back here on Purple Daily. If you missed any of our first segment or shows from earlier this week, go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Type in Purple Daily, and you can get two hours of football talk for absolutely free. Myron, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's great stuff, man. Great content. Great content and zero dollars is what it costs you. You can also download uh, our app for free as well. 
Uh, so last thing we talked about some of the kind of newsy type of things that are going on in training camp, which uh, have not been super salacious that Laquan Treadwell is uh, up for grabs if anyone wants to trade for him. I think we could have predicted that one. But, um, Myron, l- let's let's talk about some of the key players here and what their storylines are because the Vikings have been um, lucky when it comes to their health so far. They have not lost any key players. I guess I should knock on wood for the um, superstitious people or even, as Michael Scott once said, a little stitious people. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but but so far everyone is healthy and uh yeah. I, we had a good conversation the other day Courtney Crone and I did about um Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs and those two. Let's talk about some of the guys on the defense a little bit here. Everson Griffin to me is one of the most fascinating players. If we were doing one of those like lists that magazines do the most interesting Vikings of 2019, I mean Everson yeah. Griffin aside from Kirk Cousins might be number 2 on this list because of what he's coming back from, how much he struggled in the second half of the year and the potential that he has to be as good as he was in 2017 and completely dominate. Yeah, and to me it's in a way, if you're Everson Griffin, I guess maybe you appreciate sort of that there are so many other storylines on this team that people aren't talking about you. Uh, maybe they would have in, in a different scenario. But, no, he, he to me is the anchor because here's my thing. I don't know I, I don't know if you're going to see a dramatic improvement on offense with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I'm not saying – I think they'll be good, but I don't know how much better they'll be compared to last year. I think Irv mm-hmm. Smith, that guy like that. Um, you hope in year two of Kirk Cousins they're better. But the anchor has also always been what they can do defensively. Yep. And I think Anderson Griffin is the guy who is the stabilizer there. I mean, the guy who has to uh, come in and be consistent. Because to me, if you have an inconsistent Vikings offense but a stable defense, you're still going to win a bunch of games, right? If it's reverse, I think it's the opposite. You can have a consistently good offense, but if your defense is all over the place, you're going to have trouble and I think Everson, considering the year he had, considering everything that's transpired, uh, you look for him to be the guy where you go, okay, that's a guy we can trust. Uh, that's a guy who's the anchor of this defense. And a defense that could be really, really, really good. Again, a defense that could be one of the best in the league, you can make the case that he's not just maybe the most important player on that defense. You can make the case that other than Kirk Cousins, he's the most important player on this team. Yeah, and I agree with you that on the offensive side, they it's very possible that they could be more efficient. But if you're expecting them to be a top-five offense, I would say, okay, pump the brakes a little bit on Gary Kubiak, yeah. right? I mean, what what they need is to not be 19th. If, yes. they, if they could be 10th, like in 2017, I think that's where they finished in points, was 10th. And then they're number one in defense, and there you are in the NFC Championship with a chance to go to the Super Bowl in your home building. Uh, and, and if it's going to happen again, they have to be up toward the top of the league. I don't think, Myron, that they can be in the top of the league at the very top without an incredible performance again by Everson Griffin. So if I were to tell you, and this is true, that Griffin has had a really good camp, at least from my eye, he looks like he's explosive. He has taken all the first-team reps. There haven't been any issues or concerns or anything like that. Everything is going well for Everson Griffin. What would you put for over-under, let's say for sacks? And and sacks aren't everything. Pressures are, are usually better, the PFF people will tell you. But let's just go with sacks because that's the number that uh, usually stands out at the end of the year. Would you go over nine-and-a-half sacks for Everson Griffin? Yeah, the number I had in my mind was 10. I mean, 10 to me felt reasonable. So I, I, I think that feels reasonable. I take the over on that. I mean, if, if you're telling me he's had a great camp, he's focused. but And we also have to talk about the, the other element of this, right? Like, this is a guy who's been pretty open about his mental health, um, the situation that transpired last year, and what he's done to address that, which I think is a major, major element for Everson Griffin. The fact that it seems like he has taken care of some of those things that were affecting him off the field mm-hmm. now seems like he's more focused. A focused Everson Griffin, I, I think I'd take the over uh, any day of the week. Yeah, and it was uh, interesting to this week, if, if people didn't see it, to read what Liz Cambage, the Las Vegas Aces player, wrote about her struggles with yeah, mental, mental health. Yeah, it was about as open as you will ever find someone. 
and she talked about needing a break this year and, and having some struggles this year at times and how she has dealt with it um, throughout her life for a very long time. So if Everson Griffin has been dealing with these similar things, it's kind of an everyday battle. And unfortunately, because of what our jobs are, Myron, we have to talk about that in, as it relates to on the field. And really what we've seen from Griffin is outside of that issue last year, he has been consistently a player that is on the field all the time and has been able to manage these issues for the most part. So I guess you would put your expectation that if he's looking strong and he's looking healthy, that he would be a 10-sack type of player. But there's also this other part of it, Myron, which is age. And when you're 31 years old, Everson Griffin is the oldest player on the Minnesota Vikings. Did you know that? Yeah. Like that's no, I, didn't I mean, know that. that's he's, amazing. He's the oldest player on the Minnesota Vikings and that right there makes me hesitate and say, you know what, even if he is back to 100% health and even if he has continued to work and everything else, like just this time last year, you know, they decided to move on from B-Rob because he didn't have it like he did in the past and they're yeah. not going to cut Everson Griffin, but there's always that possibility that just age catches up to you. This is not a guy who, like Julius Peppers, played 40% of snaps or Cameron Wake played 40, 50% yeah. of snaps later into their career, into their 30s. He's still an every single down guy, and I think the shelf life on that is shorter. Yeah, and he turns 32 this year, I believe. I mean, so, uh, yeah, age is certainly a, a concern uh, with a guy who is so much is being asked of him. But I'd also take an aging Everson Griffin over a lot of guys in this yes, league, you know, definitely. because you you think that again focused hit, focused a guy who seems like he's doing all the right things uh, when he plays his best, he's still one of the best guys in this league, and I think that to me is is you hope you now you could see a decline and it might be obvious early, but it's it's worth the the risk in having a guy like that who I think will still has some something left in the in the tank, especially since he's so focused. All right, Myron, I want you to uh, take a turn here. Pick me a guy who is a star player on the Vikings, and let's talk about him. Who's on your mind? Well, I feel like Harrison Smith has been a guy that no one's really, you know, again, another one of those storylines where you go, you know, again, it's a good thing, maybe. Maybe it's a good thing. Yep, yep. I I think that is another guy who I go, okay, uh, he's got to be good, and he is good. Uh, and healthy because that's such an important moment as well and element of what this team can do defensively as well. So I think he is, if Everson Griffin to me is the anchor, if he's Batman on defense, Robin is certainly Harrison Smith. They, they can't be a consistent unit without him. So here's the interesting thing about Harrison Smith to me, Myron, is that in 2017 you are entirely right to say that those two guys – uh, Everson and Harrison are, are where it kind of it all begins with the Mike Zimmer defense. You have to get pressure from the front four. You have to also confuse other teams' quarterbacks using Harrison Smith. And just yesterday, I was watching him do the thing where he comes up to the line of scrimmage to make it look like it's single coverage, and then yeah. it becomes double coverage because he drops out quick and can adjust and all those things that make him great. 2017, he is the number one safety in the National Football League by Pro Football Focus. Number one. He wow. had sacks. He had picks. He had big plays. You couldn't throw at Harrison Smith. I have the numbers here. Let me scroll over. He was only targeted 42 times and gave up 23 receptions. And when they threw at Harrison Smith, Myron, opposing quarterbacks had a quarterback rating of 22. So if they had just thrown the ball into the ground, that's right. If they had just thrown the ball into the ground, they would have done less good (laughs) than throwing at him in 2017. 2018, still very good player, but he was 11th among safeties and throwing at him opposing quarterbacks had a 71 rating which again is is not good like a 71 rating uh you wouldn't even be good in 1984 with that but um if if he's the 11th best safety in the league this year their defense won't be number one last year it's number four in yards and i think number what nine in points against but that also counts the pick sixes and stuff yeah but but number four in yards and they were one of the best defenses in the NFL in passer rating against. I believe they were fourth in that. And that's your key stat that's going to tell you who's great and who's not in, um, you know, in, in defending the pass. But 
it's not number one. And if you're talking about being at the very top and having defense and running the football guide you to success, you need Harrison Smith to be the guy that was 2017 and not the guy that was 2018. But I, I guess I'm wondering, Myron, if we think the age curve is different for safeties than it would be for a pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, again, even that to me is something where generationally it's changed, right? Because I think 30 years old, which Harrison Smith is, does isn't 30 years old in 1995, right? right? I mean, 30 years old with the way these guys handle themselves, um, it's it's a different deal. But it's also more wear and tear. Be, to be 6'2", his size, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear on your body. And the biggest thing to me isn't the age, it's the agility and speed. Because that to me is the thing that Harrison Smith can't lose. His, his, his thing, his gift is, you know, what you described, that he can be so versatile, versatile, but all of that is his athleticism, agility, his speed. If he loses that, that to me is when you got a real, a real problem. And I don't know if last year's decline was directly tied to that. I don't know if it was just, you know, it wasn't, he had such a great year in 2017. It's hard to duplicate what he did. Uh, and maybe quarterbacks taking more chances against him. But I do think that that would be the only concern with a Harrison Smith. And I haven't seen any signs uh, or read anything. You've been in training camp to suggest that he's lost a step, uh, that he's not the same guy uh, he's been over the last couple of years in terms of ability. So the ability is there. Yes, he's 30. But I think this is a guy who can still be one of the top guys at that position in the entire league. Yeah, I would be very surprised if there was any dip. The only thing that concerns me a little bit is can Anthony Harris handle the role for 16 games because he was able yeah. to fill in nicely and everyone um, kind of dumped on Andrew Sandejo at times, but I thought he was very solid at playing the Batman Robin thing to uh, Harrison Smith. But yeah. you know, as you're going to be the guy now that teams game plan to target in Anthony Harris because they're not going to go at Harrison Smith. You heard those rating numbers when they throw at him. So is Harris going to be able to step up the same way he did last year? Clearly, Mike Zimmer is confident in him since they didn't go out and get anybody else. Uh, yeah. and, and there's no fallback option here, by the way. J. Ron Curtis, yeah, this is it. So Harris better be good or you're going to end up in trouble. So that's kind of more of my interest than whether Harrison Smith is the same guy. I think he will be uh, for several more years to come. Let me throw one more at you, and then I want to um, to start talking about this this next preseason game here. Anthony Barr, uh, Myron, do you expect anything different from Anthony Barr after he returned here and does not have the kind of backstory um, or or thing hanging over his head uh, of the contract? Yeah, just who is he in big games? I mean, I don't know. I, I think it comes down to that to me. Like, who is he in big moments? Like, we have spent an entire offseason dissecting who Kirk Cousins has been in these big moments, right? Yep. Yep. That has been like the storyline of the season. Uh, defensive players are shielded from that a lot of times because we view them as a unit. Uh, they're viewed collectively, so they don't get the individual scrutiny. Uh, but I think you can take a lot of cases last year with Anthony Barr and go, okay, you know, who was he uh, in those moments in some of the bigger games? Obviously, the Rams game stands out because of how many times he got beat in coverage, and you know, a lot of people harp on that. But I think, to me, that was sort of a microcosm of some of these situations where you went, we know he's – athletic and, and talented and versatile and all these things and certainly looks the part and has been a pro bowler. But in those, like, I hate to sound cliche, those sort of championship moments, is he going to be a playmaker? Like, is he going to be the guy who's going to change a game for you? That to me is, is what you want out of Anthony Barr, especially when, you know, that Khalil Mack, when the, the Bears played the Packers in the first game of the season and Khalil Mack almost single-handedly like wins that game yep. for the Bears. Like his first game on the team, who knows if you knew even the playbook, and this guy just was just destroying people. And not that Anthony Barr is a Khalil Mack, clearly, but you want a player at that position to be able to make those disruptive plays, to be able to just change the game. And and I don't know that Anthony Barr has been that. And I think that was a lot of the backlash against him. It was like when it, when everyone thought he was leaving, Kyler was like, oh, okay. Right. I mean, yeah, you don't want to lose him, but you're also not desperate to keep him because of some of those situations. But I want to see if he can be that guy. He's been sort of mythical since coming back from the Jets and that whole situation. But let's see who he is in those big moments. So here's an interesting number for you. Last year, the pro football focus grades of 
Anthony Barr versus Eric Wilson. It was a 71 to a 64. So, I mean, not a huge gap between uh, Anthony Barr and Eric Wilson. And Wilson only played 330 snaps. But when he was filling in, it's not like he got torched or something in pass coverage. I'm looking at his numbers now. He allowed 6.7 yards per reception into his coverage, which is not that bad. Um, But where Barr is really interesting is this kind of uh, push and pull of you want him to be a game-breaking player, like he looked like he was going to be in his second season, 2015, where he had you know interceptions and fumble caused and sacks and all these things. And then he hasn't really been that since 2015. Um, but what Mike Zimmer will tell you, and I've looked into this and it's very true um, for, from doing a, a big article on it, is the uniqueness of Anthony Barr just in general. His combination of size, speed, wingspan, and intelligence is very rare. So even if he isn't making game-breaking plays all the time, him just him as a unique specimen, as kind of a unicorn, um, uh, allows Mike Zimmer to do things defensively that can't normally be done. So, you know, I, I think that what we'll ultimately walk away with this year is saying, well, another year where Anthony Barr only got three sacks and, you know, maybe he picked off one pass and he didn't make that many big-time plays in, in the run game where he was getting, you know, tackles for loss and things like that. But you would still have the head coach who is the defensive genius tell you that, Hey, the reason we wanted him back is because of, you know, how unique um, you can, you can uh, of things that you can dial up for. You remember, I mean, on third downs last year, they were sending Anthony Barr from all over the place and opposing quarterbacks were mostly baffled and they were the best third down team again. So, you know, I, I I think that there's sort of that back and forth, but my guess would be is that fans at the end of the season will say, I don't know if that guy was necessarily worth the paycheck. Yeah. Well, and and I think just the, again, the crescendo of emotions from he's probably leaving to, oh, no, he left. And then, wait, he's coming back. Like, that to me is like a part of this storyline with an Anthony Barr. Yeah. You you know what I mean? Um, So I want to see who he can be. And I want to see if he can be a complete player uh, in some of those moments that you described, that I described. Because I think that, to me, is important, too. This could be a team, Kyle, right, that ends up going into a bunch of fourth-quarter situation down a touchdown, yeah, right, or, or up a touchdown. Like, this isn't a team, to me, that's going to run away with anything. Yep. So, for me, in those scenarios, those are one or two plays are changing everything, and that's when you need the playmakers to, yep. to yep. okay, no, this is how we're going to change the game. Big play here, big play there. It's a cliche, but the parity in the NFL is so great that you need guys who can be the difference makers in those situations. All right, we'll have a couple minutes when we return for Myron Metcalf to get the final word on what to look for between the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle Seahawks in preseason game number two. That's when we come back here. You listen to Purple Daily on Score North. 346 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. Jonathan here with this download brought to you by MyPillow. Sage Rosenfels gave his opinions on what he wants to see in the upcoming preseason game Sunday night against the Seahawks. So what do you want to see? You'll hear that in hour one of the Purple Daily podcast that will post here shortly. What do you want to see coming up Sunday night? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter. That's at SKOR North on Twitter. Also, you can join myself and Dan Terhar tomorrow night for Score North's coverage of Minnesota United and Orlando City pregame at 6.30 p.m. with kickoff at 7 right here on Score North on AM 1500. ScoreNorth.com and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment this week of Purple Daily. All right, last segment of the week for us. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf here. All right, Myron, I want you to give me the things that you are looking for in the Vikings' second preseason game or... I mean, you don't have to lie here. You could just tell me to look for them because I'll be there, and then I'll tell you what happened if you want. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to do it that way. I think, I think that's how a lot of Vikings fans are. Like, let me read the articles the next day yeah. and just kind of see what happened after that first quarter. Um, <laughs> what, what would you like me to keep an eye on when I'm at U.S. Bank Stadium for the first time since, uh, what, December 31st or something? It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, I'll be watching too, for sure. I mean, I'm definitely going to be paying attention. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, the Alexander Madison thing to me is fascinating. Like 
to me, you have a guy who is playing well, uh, a young guy on a rookie deal in a situation where you've got a running back who's not going to play, a running back with a history of injuries. I I feel like Madison is never going to be the number one guy, not coming to the season, obviously. Dalvin Cook is that guy. And talent-wise, Dalvin Cook is a special player. But I do think getting value at that position, having that security blanket, um, I think is an important thing. So for me, the run game with Madison, I'm curious to see how good he can be, you know, and how reliable he can be in his second preseason game. I'm kind of looking too a little bit at who is going to be the backup offensive lineman because Brian O'Neill's a little dinged up here. My expectation yeah. is that he's going to be okay and he's going to play just based on what Mike Zimmer has said about that injury, which is never much, but he's just kind of insinuated that it wasn't super serious um, and it hasn't looked that way. He's been out there working out on the side each day. But now who gets kind of shuffled into the mix uh, in the first game, we didn't see Dakota Dozier play very well. Uh, Drew Samia did play well, but it was against the third-teamers. And that's what I'm always looking for, Myron, is just when people play more than trying to evaluate them and say, oh, well, this guy had this many good snaps and everything else. There's just too much to watch all at once. And so it's it's like, okay, who is out there in what situations? Because when you see the guy who was drafted in the fourth round out there at the end of the game, you're like, okay, well, what has been going on here in training camp that they don't like for for yeah. why they don't trust him necessarily to be out there? And he did get some second-team reps this week, but only because of things getting shuffled around. So, uh, you know, and I'm not sure about what Avian Collins' deal is, and, and they've been moving Dakota Dozier at times to a swing tackle type position. So that's definitely of interest to me. Also, I mean, you just you can't say his name enough in terms of intrigue is Irv Smith. And they talked. Yeah. They talked about this week him being a better blocker than expected. But you know, I'm just I'm gonna have to say this because it's the truth that when Gary Kubiak says, "Well, you know, I mean, Kyle Rudolph's a great blocker, and Irv Smith has looked good at blocking," he's like, "Wait, you can't lie. <laughs> you can't lie to me first, and then yeah. expect me to believe that, right?" Exactly. So, so we'll so so I'm gonna keep a very close eye and see Irv Smith second action. First action not super impressive. Second action is he gonna step up? I like it. Yeah, I think to me, uh, that's obviously a critical guy to watch. Collectively, overall, it's it's the same question that we started this preseason with, Collar, is how many weapons does Kirk Cousins have and how will he use them, right? That's still the buildup to me in the preseason. Like, what kind of toys will he have to play with? Not that players are toys, but, like, that to me is why everything is so important. A Madison, yes, he's the number two guy, right? And, yes, there could be an injury situation. But it's also like maybe this guy's another option. Like maybe this just is another look at that position. And that, to me, does everything to help a Kirk Cousins out. You want to give him as many targets, as many options as possible to boost that offense. All right, now let me ask you this, Myron. Are you interested in Kyle Sloter? Interested in terms of... Watching him? I mean... Seeing if he keeps performing really well, if they give him any second-team reps, I, I'm having trouble seeing that. You need him. I mean, you know, the Andrew Luck situation should scare everybody, right, in the in the league where it's like all of a sudden you realize like a backup quarterback and what that means to a franchise. Obviously, there are injury concerns with the Kirk Cousins, uh, but only in those situations do we go, oh, wait a minute, uh, backup quarterbacks matter. So, no, Kyle Slaughter, you want to see if he can play well, uh, you don't see any situation where Kirk Cousins is down, but you want to have that key backup. Teddy Bridgewater got, what, $7 million from the Saints, fully guaranteed? Seven and a half, I think, yeah. I, I think the deal, it, it can be worth up to $12 million with incentives. Like, backup quarterbacks mean a lot. Jacoby Brissett and the Colts, obviously they're happy they have a guy like that. Studfield just got hurt with the Eagles. Like, it's important to have someone at that position that you can trust. So, yeah, if you can continue to play well, that's a boost because you would never want something to happen to a Kirk Cousins. But if it did, you want to be in a position where you had someone you could play. I just wonder if he has any chance to actually be the backup because I haven't seen that yet. I mean, it's to me it's been in um, – well, not to me. I mean, to them, it's clearly been Sean Mannion. I mean, even yeah. Gary Kubiak said something about Sean Mannion doing a spectacular job, and he has been good in, in training camp practices. And it's sort of that – 
classic kind of thing of if you're not going to do it in practice, even if you do in the game, you're not going to convince them that you could do it in a real game because the practice, I think, is a better simulation when the defense is making calls and installing their real defense as opposed to, well, we're just going to do the vanilla man coverage and everything else. And so, you know, I, I think there's a reason why Sloter has been able to succeed against third teams and not in training camp practices. But if he continues to do it, he's going to force their hand to maybe keep him around as another backup quarterback. This team has generally kept three. So that's on the list. And I mean, we've been saying it since the start of camp, Myron, and still there is no one that has been spectacular among the wide receivers. I'm starting to think that there's a possibility that we see another Aldrich Robinson situation here, Myron, where it's, yeah. a, it's a guy we don't even know right now who, yeah. who ends up yeah. on the team because it's been that bad outside of B.C. Johnson and Chad Beebe. Yeah, and what do you think that is? I mean, that to me is – and I don't think it's just the Vikings. Um, I think a lot of teams around the league are having trouble finding that third receiver. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, you're spoiled, right, having Thielen and Diggs. Very so much. Having, you know, so – you need less than a lot of other teams need at that position, but it just seems like it's been more and more difficult. The Giants, after losing Corey Coleman and Golden Tate being suspended, they're calling guys off the street. You know, they're looking for anybody who can come in and maybe give them a shot. So, yeah, it could be a weird situation where it's something we don't know yet at this point. But you hope that you're not having to rely on that person anyway because you have two guys who are top class in this league. All right, last thing for me is. Pass interference reviews. Yes. Yeah. That's what I am looking for, Myron. Yes. Football. Listen, Preseason. Do it. Make it timely. Like, it cannot take 10 minutes or 15. That, that's my only concern yeah. is if, if it just stalls the game. Because everyone will hate that if that happens. All right. We will have a um, post Viking Seahawks reaction. I believe myself and Judd Zolgad will be doing the reacting uh, after that game. So maybe Judd will call for someone to get fired, potentially. Uh, Mackie Judd with Rami is coming up next. Thanks, Myron, um, for another wonderful Friday talking football with you. And uh, we will be back here on Score North. If you missed any of the show, make sure you download it on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week. This holiday, whether you're making a Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Fred Meyer has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.